Welcome to A Fork in Time, the alternate history podcast. Welcome back to A Fork in Time, your alternate history podcast. I'm your host, Alexis Shelley, and with me in the host chair, you can probably guess where we're headed. Yes, we are going back across the pond for our trip back into history today. Now, you might have heard my dad ask on previous podcasts when he and I were together, okay, so is this English history? Is this British history? Where are we? Well, today we are visiting uh, the official start of what we can call British history. Uh, We're going to be talking about the Act of Settlement of 1701. Now, the actual country of Great Britain was not formed until 1707 with the Act of Union. But as we'll talk about as we go through today's episode, you'll see the Act of Settlement of 1701 was really the first Act of Parliament to kind of get that ball rolling to what eventually uh, led to the Acts of Union in 1707 and the formation of Great Britain as a country. So, the Act of Settlement. It was passed by Parliament in 1701 to settle the succession uh, of the English and the Scottish thrones on Protestants only. Anyone who either was a Roman Catholic converted to Roman Catholicism or had married a Roman Catholic barred themselves from inheriting inheriting the throne with this act of parliament. It was passed uh, kind of in response to what became known in English history as the Glorious Revolution. That was when James II, uh, who was the king, was overthrown essentially. He had converted to Catholicism and was doing some things that parliament didn't necessarily agree with. So Parliament invited his daughter, uh, Mary, who was Protestant, uh, to come over and with the uh, help and support of her husband, William of Orange, they came over and they took the throne uh, in what became known as the Glorious Revolution. They became joint monarchs of uh, England. It was called the Glorious Revolution because there was actually no bloodshed in this takeover of the throne. James II just kind of went into the uh, went to the woodwork. Uh, so William and uh, his wife Mary, James's daughter, came over and they took the throne. And after that, uh, Parliament kind of said, okay, so clearly we've got William and Mary. Their children will inherit the throne. Well, unfortunately, uh, they died childless. Mary died first in 1694 of smallpox. William followed not that uh, long after in 1702. Uh, She also had a sister. Mary had a sister, also Protestant. Uh, named Anne. So Anne naturally becomes a queen on William's death in 1702. Anne unfortunately also dies childless. She has several children, but they predecease her. They don't live very long or they're stillborn. So it's nearing the end of Anne's life. um, Or it's becoming clear that Anne is not going to have any children to become monarch after her. So Parliament decides we got to nip this in the bud and figure out what we're going to do. Enter, enter the Act of Settlement. Uh, it was a way of barring Catholic heirs of James II from taking the throne. 
uh, and coming over and taking the throne from the Protestants uh, in the line of Stuart. So at the time this law was passed, the next Protestant in the line of succession was Sophia. She was the Electress of Hanover. She had gone over to Hanover, which is in Germany. That will become important later. Uh, and married the Elector over there. Uh, she was a granddaughter of James VI of Scotland, who became James I of England. Uh, so she's the next in line. But unfortunately, she actually dies on June 8th of 1714, and that is before... Her cousin Anne dies later on that year. So because when Anne dies, Sophia has died. The crown now passes to Sophia's son, George, the elector of Hanover, who becomes George I. Uh, because he comes from Hanover, he starts the Hanoverian dynasty in England. It is technically uh, this dynasty that is still on the throne of England or Great Britain as we now know it today. Uh, Elizabeth II, the current monarch of Great Britain, is the four times great-granddaughter of George I. So we are still continuing that line to this very day uh, because of the legislation that took place with the Act of Settlement. The Act of Settlement had not been passed. I got curious and went down a little bit of a, of a research rabbit hole on the internet. I was Okay, who would have become king uh, or queen if uh, this act had not been passed? And it was actually would have been the current uh, Duke of Bavaria, uh, Franz Herzog von Bern. He's a descendant of Charles I's daughter, Henrietta. Charles I is James II's father, so Henrietta is James II's sister. So that is how Franz would have become king of Great Britain if he hadn't been Catholic. Uh, it's interesting to note that eventually we still would have had a German family ruling Great Britain, just like we do today uh, with the Hanoverians, because as I mentioned, uh, we're essentially still in that line. The Hanoverians are the ancestors of Elizabeth II. So it's interesting that sometimes we've talked about in uh, on the podcast before where sometimes the path you take might be a little bit differently, but eventually it ends up at the same point. So it would have been a little bit different. We wouldn't have gone the Georgian route with uh, George I, George II, George III, George IV, and so on. Uh, but we still would have gotten to a German family uh, ruling Great Britain, just like we do have today. The Act of Settlement played a key role in the formation of Great Britain, as I mentioned. Uh, England and Scotland had shared a monarch since 1603. That's when they did what I call the cousin jump. We had Elizabeth II dying without heirs, and so the crown had to pass to her cousin uh, by a younger descendant of Henry VII. Uh, so... The England's, English and Scottish crowns had been joined uh, ever since 1603 in the sense that the same monarch who ruled Scotland also ruled England, but they had remained separately governed countries uh, until this law was enacted. Uh, England pretty much pressured Scotland to accept the Act of Settlement. Uh, Scotland didn't necessarily want to do it. Uh, and because of that, there was some further legislation, including the Act of Union in 1707, that ultimately made the country of Great Britain. It's interesting to think about how the tension that kind of arose between the Act of Settlement and ultimately the Act of Union. In recent years, we've had uh, a Scottish independence movement, Scotland wanting to make itself independent from Great Britain and the United Kingdom. 
it's interesting to think about if there hadn't been this kind of pressure to form one country and to form one galvanized uh, country going forward, it's interesting to think about how that would have affected uh, the Scottish psyche, so to speak, and would we have had that tension? Uh, would Scotland have declared its independence sooner? Uh, would Scotland have thrown off the yoke of monarchy altogether? Would Scotland have decided we want to elect our own monarch? We don't want uh, to necessarily follow the, even though it was the bloodline of Scotland, it just actually came over and became the bloodline of England. Would Scotland have decided, you know, we want to elect our own monarch. We don't want to be told by England uh, who our monarch should be. So it's interesting to think about how uh, how Scotland and England would have continued to coexist or not coexist uh, if there hadn't been this kind of pressure from England uh, to accept the act of settlement. It also reinforced the Bill of Rights of 1689. Uh it strengthened the principle that government was undertaken by the sovereign and his or her ministers. And the ministers were appointed by parliament and by the people, essentially, because they were appointed by the House of Commons, which is elected by the people. Uh, so the sovereign was not ruling with people he, necessarily ch he or she necessarily chose uh, to rule with. So this is when I think we really start to see that shift towards constitutional monarchy and that shift towards... Uh, representative government and more of the monarch becoming a figurehead and not ruling with an iron fist or not ruling in the best entrance best interest of uh, of their people it also I think protects the monarchy of Great Britain in the fact that we're strengthening the Bill of Rights and we're strengthening the rights of the common people uh, in 1701, we are not that, we are less than 100 years from events like the French Revolution, which essentially come about because there's this divide between the monarch and his or her subjects, the people they're ruling over. So I think in a way, uh, the act of settlement really protects the British monarchy against future uh, problems that other monarchies in Europe have. Could we have possibly seen a toppling of the monarchy in Great Britain uh, following the likes of the monarchy in France? I think without the Act of Union and without the protections that the Act of Union put in place in terms of those checks and balances on the monarchy, that is not a far cry from what could have happened or not a dis uh, distant possibility at all. Uh, the Act also... Uh, required parliamentary, parliamentary consent uh, for the sovereign to engage in any war or leave the country. Uh, Parliament had to say it was okay for them to leave the country or to engage in any foreign war anywhere in the world. I think that's especially important because this new dynasty does come over from Germany and still has land holdings uh, in foreign lands. They're still the elector of Hanover. Uh, that remains in place until Victoria succeeds to the throne in 1837, and the only reason she can't is because of Salic law, which uh, she's a woman. She can't inherit the uh, uh, crown of Hanover. We've talked in a previous podcast about her uncle, uh, Ernest, the king of Hanover. So the royal family of Great Britain maintained um, German titles and land holdings quite a few years after this so i think that's a good good check on power that parliament has to give their uh consent for 
them to engage in any war, for them to leave the country. It's really showing that Parliament wants the monarch to put the interests of, of Great Britain, of that country, uh, ahead of anything else. Uh, the last thing that really uh, was kind of a, a, a reinforcing of the Bill of Rights of 1689 was that judges were obliged to hold office on good conduct. They were not uh, just holding their office because of the royal pleasure of the monarch. So again, it's instituting those checks and balances into the system of government. If there's a bad judge, get them out of there. They can't continue to sit on the bench just because they're friends uh, with the monarch or a member of the royal family. It's important to talk about that this law and this uh, act does not only affect uh, Great Britain, which is this, this little island uh, in uh, Europe. There's this thing called the British Commonwealth. And actually, the monarch of Great Britain is the head of state for 16 other nations around the world. Uh, some pretty big ones. Australia, Canada, New Zealand, uh, several different countries. So this actual act cannot be altered in any realm that is part of the Commonwealth except by an act of Parliament. And they actually all have to agree because they're all interconnected. The monarch is the head of government for all these 16 different nations. They all have to agree that any change to this act can take place. There have been a couple things that have uh, taken place in recent years. Uh, that have been changes to the Act of 1701. In 2015, that's when uh, it actually went into an action. In 2015, the disqualification for inheritance of the crown by marriage to a Roman Catholic was removed. Meaning, if somebody married a Roman Catholic, they did not lose their place in the right of succession. Now, they could not be a Roman Catholic themselves. They had to remain Protestant. However, if their spouse was a Roman Catholic, they did not lose their place in the right of succession. There were some notable uh, members of the royal family that this affected. Uh, in 1978, Prince Michael of Kent, he married Marie Christine von Reibnitz. Uh, she was a baroness. And because of that, he removed himself from his position. At the time, in 1978, he was 15th in line. However, he was actually restored to his place in 2015. Now, of course, multiple people, multiple people had been born uh, since he had been removed in 1978. So currently he's sitting at number 34th uh, in line to the throne. But he actually was put back in the line of succession of 2015, in 2015 after being removed in 1978 because he actually married a Roman Catholic. On the flip side of this, in 2008... Peter Phillips, who is the son of Princess Anne, the second child of Elizabeth II, he would have had to give up his position uh, to the throne before his wedding in 2008. Uh, but his fiancée, Autumn Kelly, who is Canadian, she was raised uh, Catholic. She actually converted to Anglic Anglicanism or, or Protestantism uh, before their wedding. So he did not have to give up his uh, line, his place in the line. Uh, to the throne, although he would have immediately been put back in 2015 as well, just like Prince Michael of Kent was. Something else that we haven't really talked about uh, in this episode so far, simply because it wasn't actually instituted in the active uh, settlement in 1701, it had kind of always been in place, was the practice of primogeniture, meaning that the line of succession went from male heir to male heir to male heir to male heir, and it really only passed to a woman 
uh, if there was no male to choose from in the direct line of succession. That's why we've only had six queens of England, because typically it's gone from male to male to male to male to male. In 2015, that was taken away. If you are a daughter, you can no longer be displaced by a younger brother. A uh, good example of this is with the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge, uh, William and Kate. They have three children. Of course, their oldest was a male, Prince George. He was actually born in 2013. This change in the uh, line of succession, though, actually came into effect right about the time their second child was born uh, in 2015. She was born in May, uh, and that would be Princess Charlotte. Then, of course, a few years later, in 2018, we have her younger brother, Prince Louis. And as I mentioned, with this change in 2015, Louis does not displace Charlotte. They still hold their line of succession in the, in the order that they were born. Uh, in previous years, what it would have done is George was born first, then Charlotte was born. As soon as Louis was born, there would have been a leapfrog. And Louis would have jumped over and Charlotte would have become third in the line of succession after William. But that is not happening thanks to this change in the law that took place in 2015. So we're moving forward. We're becoming modern. Uh, Charlotte is holding her place. Of course, Charlotte will never probably succeed to the throne. Uh, she does have that older brother. But it is nice to think about the fact that she didn't lose out on her place in the line, uh, even though she has a little brother. Uh, so that has been our jaunt down the Act of Settlement uh, of 1701. Uh, it's again, it's it's one of those things that we, we were starting that jump between what was English and Scottish history and what is now British history. So wanted to go a little bit little bit back in time of course back to back across the pond but not quite as far as we've gone in previous previous podcasts so in uh kind of wrapping things up what would have happened if the act of settlement had not been enacted in 1701 uh we might have a scotland that had decided to throw off monarchy altogether or to at least break away from the throne of england and decide they want to elect their own monarch, decide who they want their monarch to be themselves. Um, and that's an interesting uh, thing to think about in terms that there's always been kind of this uneasy peace between England and Scotland. I've heard people refer to it as this kind of arranged marriage that always kind of had some tension into it. But we never had really all-out war between England and Scotland uh, since 1701, like we have in previous centuries, where we have England and Scotland going to war. So if we didn't have this, for lack of a better word, uneasy peace, but it still is a peace, if we didn't have that peace, and we had England and Scotland possibly at war with each other, or at least not being allies with each other, how would that have affected Wars that are on a global scale coming uh, up, things like World War One, World War Two. What would the landscape of Europe and the ally structure of Europe look like if we didn't have England and Scotland all already these natural allies to go with go against powers like Germany, like the Soviet Union, like places like that? How would the outcome of World War One and World War Two been different? Or would there have been a delay in the entry of World War One and World War Two? Uh, maybe England would have entered, but Scotland might not have entered right away, or vice versa. 
how would that have affected uh, the overall power structure of Europe and the overall scheme of Europe as we're looking into uh, the future centuries and looking into those world wars? Also, as I mentioned, our friends, friend Franz earlier, instead of Elizabeth II, we might have Franz I uh, of England. It's, again, I mentioned I did a little bit of a, a you know, a, a rabbit hole uh, digging, doing some research. We're n I'm not even sure uh, who would rule after him. He is currently 74, and he is a bachelor. He has no children. So, again, we might have to do some interesting, what I call cousin jumping, uh, to determine who would be the rightful monarch of Great Britain. Maybe it would be Elizabeth II and the future Charles III, William V, George VII. Uh, we don't know. Uh, we would have, you know, it, it takes a genealogist and some, somebody who has way more knowledge of, uh, of European history and, and English history and English genealogy to figure that out. But it's interesting to think about, uh, again, who would be sitting on the throne of Great Britain, either right now or in the future, because as I mentioned, we've got a 74-year-old bachelor that would currently be the monarch of Great Britain uh, if we did not have Elizabeth II. So I hope you've enjoyed this little jaunt uh, down a fork in time. These podcasts always seem shorter when I'm by myself, uh, but hopefully we'll be able to uh, get together with some, some co-hosts. Either my dad and I will get back together, or maybe I'll uh, have a guest co-host uh, in the near future to share uh, the, the mic with me. But as, as always, we'd like to uh, thank you for joining us on A Fork in Time. Of course, you can always get a hold of us. Uh, the best place to do that, or kind of the jumping off point to do that, is A Fork in Time podcast. Dot com. The A on the front is important. The podcast on the end is important. But if you go to that website, you will see uh, links to all the different podcatchers so you can download our episodes. We obviously would like you to subscribe. That way you don't even have to do any work. They just appear in your podcatcher uh, whenever they're released. Uh, you can always find links to our social media. Uh, it is kind of my, you know, it's not quite New Year's, but we did just have a change in uh, season. It did just become fall, although... I live in Texas. That didn't make much of a difference in terms of weather, but kind of my fall resolution is to uh, get more involved with our social media. So be on the lookout for that. You can visit us on Facebook, on Twitter, on Pinterest, and you can find links to all of those uh, social media sites uh, from that website, a fork in time podcast dot com. Uh, you can also email us at a fork in time podcast at gmail dot com. We always look uh, forward to hearing from you and uh, conversing with you and a few of us have reached out and we love uh, hearing your feedback and and hearing from our community that we're uh, building here as you know we've talked about this is a relatively new uh, venture so we're still kind of trying to find our feet so of course we always met, always uh, welcome your feedback and welcome your constructive criticism as we kind of find our way and we hope that you continue to join us uh, on a fork in time also on that website uh, at com, you will find a listener survey and we would really uh, appreciate if you would take a few minutes to uh, fill that out. I, I even filled it out it, just to prove that it takes five, maybe ten minutes uh, to fill it out. So we'd love, again, that's an, just another way for you to give us your feedback, give us your suggestions, help us really find out what our listeners want to hear from us. Uh, of course, we have our topics that we naturally gravitate to. Uh, you can guess mine, of course. 
but we always want to uh, hear what you'd be interested in, and it'll give us just another avenue to go uh, explore and research some things for ourselves as well. Also from that website, you can find links to our Patreon page. Uh, as we mentioned before, we uh, are not in this for the money. We're in this just because we enjoy talking about history, and we hope you enjoy listening to us talk about history. But if you'd like to support the podcast, we, again, would greatly appreciate it to kind of offset some of the costs that we do incur from hosting the podcasts and uh, making sure we can get it out to all of you so you can always uh, support us if that is an option for you but of course the biggest uh, support you can give us is your time and listening to the podcast so we really appreciate the time you've taken to listen to this uh, topic today and as we close out the show I just want to end with you know, it's, it's baseball season right now, and our Astros, as we're recording this right now, we're doing great. We're on to the ALDS series, so go Astros. So in light of that, I just want to close with uh, our famous adage that we've adapted a little bit from Yogi Berra and from our friend of the podcast, Kenny Cole. If you find a fork in the road, take it. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for listening to A Fork in Time, the alternate history podcast. Join us next time.